Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. and this is Straight Talk. As we move through the world, we tell ourselves stories about who we are. But this has a lot of influence on our mindset and ultimately our perspective. Through her podcast, Do You Fucking Mind, Alexis Fernandez has, on her own, captivated a massive audience who want to hack their way into thinking, whilst also studying for a neuroscience degree at Sydney University. But it's interesting to hear what had to happen in her life that led to a recent success. Like most people, Alexis experienced the massive heartbreak that shook her to a very core and turned her life's trajectory on a dime. It changed the way she perceived herself and the world around her. Throughout our chat, I very quickly get the sense that Alexis likes to challenge herself, whether through a work, study, or maybe even a personal life. She likes to throw herself straight into the deep end and see how quickly she can rise to the surface. We discuss mindset hacks and cultivating confidence. All right, soften her bullshit with Alexis Fernandez. Alexis Fernandez. I'm going to talk about that name in a second. <laughs> uh, welcome to Straight Talk, and or this episode of Straight Talk. But first, I want to know Alexis Fernandez. Um, what is Fernandez? I mean, what nationality is that? Fernandez is, is Spanish of Spanish nationality, yep. yeah. and my parents are South American. So right. my grandfather was Spanish. My my well, actually, it's a backstory to this last name because Fernandez is my mother's surname, and I used to always hyphenate my surname as Fernandez Prexa. Right. And then I ended up just sticking to Fernandez for my kind of stage name, if you want to call it, because I used to do acting when I was a lot younger and all the casting directors said Fernandez is a very marketable name. No one can spell Prexa. Stick to Fernandez as your brand name. And it stuck. And so now in all my documents, it's Prexa or Fernandez Prexa, but the way, like everything else and my podcast name, it's Fernandez. Yeah, but your Instagram is um Something else. It's Predes, so I kind of did pre for like PRE for Prexa and then Des for the end of Fernandez, so I kind of blended ah, the two yeah, so together. That, okay. So yeah. that is a sort of um, a mixture of the two names put together. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, so, but your, your your surname is actually f- partly Fernandez. That's right. Because uh, I thought maybe when you say South America, um, what does that mean? So my mother is Uruguayan and my father's Argentinian. Yes. Yeah, and they migrated 
to Australia in the 70s. They were 16 and they met in their 20s. Right, so you, yes. you do have that Argentinian look. Yeah. You, you, you do, like your, your stature and your colour, et cetera. It's, like yeah. a, it's a, a very Argentinian from you know, from the Argentinians that I know know of who I've met in my life. So I want to – well, obviously you've got a podcast, you've got your new app, which is uh, – you know, what's it called? It's called uh, Move With Us so app. It's a fitness sort of thing. It is. So it's not my app. It's, um, it's this woman called Rachel Dillon yep. and I – have come on board as one of the coaches on so that So you're app. a content provider. That's right, in, in yeah. The, and uh, you've got your book, clearly, which the book's right here. By the way, it was hard to get, I have to tell you. That's not an easy book to get, so you've got to get <laughs> on to whoever it is that's selling them because, we know, we, we, you know, a lot of people want to be able to buy it. I and know. if you can't get it, it's no good. But it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's an interesting book, and I, I actually went through some of the chapters. I read a few of the chapters myself. Um, Thank you. And, of course, you're finishing off your Masters of Neuroscience in three weeks. In three weeks. I can't believe it. Is it harder at the end of the Masters? Yes. Or harder at the beginning of the Masters? Uh, and why did you do a Masters? So can you order, answer those questions <laughs> in that order? I think it's harder at the end. I think, I think it's because, well, one, the work, I've, I've given myself a bigger workload, so I've kind of caused part of that. And then two, because I've left the subjects that I didn't want to do until the very end, like statistics, which is something that was which always. I heard you don't like that much because I actually listened to one of your podcasts <laughs> and you talked about the maths and all the stats stuff, which yes. is math, basically maths or the statistical um, applied maths. Yes. You don't really dig that that much. Um, is that right? That's right. Well, the, the funny thing is I, I enjoy mathematics, but statistics and breaking down Z scores and T scores and one way and overs. I don't know that I cannot, I cannot wrap my head around. And it's one of those things, you know, you have to, if I really wanted to do it, I could, Yeah. but my passion is in the other sides of things. So I feel it's just, I know what I have to do to pass. And in the other ones is where I really want to put all my time and energy into so, the subject. Because from what I, from what I'm gathering, from what I gathered, what I did listen to in relation to one podcast, I listened to you on where you, it seems like you're more into the cellular biology, et cetera, that, yeah. you know, the, the, the microglials and, the, 100%, and, and 100%. The macrophages and uh, <laughs> all that other shit that goes on inside your exactly. brain. That's your gig, huh? That is, that's my. Yeah. And, and uh, like it would be fair to say you're some sort of science nerd. Like yes. uh, are, are you into it? Like I love it. I love it. And my, my thing to, I like to read, I enjoy reading textbooks, reading pharmacology textbooks. I love listening to podcasts where it's all a breakdown of, the deep, deep, deep parts of the cell, and I, I love that. What I like to do in straight talk, especially with like someone like you, is actually start to profile you. You know, if you, in, in a in a in the nice possible Let's way. Let's do it. So, um, science nerd. Um, th- it doesn't really matter whether you like the stats or not, but you're a, you're a you're a, a study nerd. You like to do well. Yes. So you don't like. You like it when you get a HD. That's great, high distinction. But um, yes. You probably hate more getting a credit or just passing. Oh, hate it. Now, is that an ego thing? I mean, I mean, or are you trying to build yourself so you've got a master's degree with an average HD or an average distinction level, which gives you a better, you get a better ranking and that yes. allows you then to do further study in the, in the future, like PhDs, et cetera. I mean, are we talking about that territory, well, academia? I don't think, I, I used to kind of think, would I do a PhD? Would I not? Now my question is I just wouldn't really know where to go. Like wh- not where to go, but I wouldn't know what I would do. Well, there's in. so many things. There's so many things. So that's, a, I, that's a situation where you know too fucking much. Like, um, yes. And you, you've got to, but if you had to make a choice, I mean, are we talking about academia here for yourself? 
Yeah, this is just personal. The reason why I want it is because I think for me, if I'm going to do this master's in neuroscience, I want to see how well I can go. I want to know where my, my limit is, if possible. Do you, do so, you test yourself, do you? Yes, yes. I like to push myself and see because that way if I get a credit, I say, okay, well, I really know that that's what I deserved. You know, if, if I kind of just did it half-assed, then I don't really know what I'm capable of achieving. If you go all in and you get a credit, then you say, okay, that, that was my limit there. I, I now know I actually need to change what I'm doing because I was giving it my all and it's not good enough. Because so average. I, yeah, it was average. Yeah. <laughs> but if I get a high distinction, I knew I earned that. I earned every part of that high distinction. So are you competing with yourself, Alexis, or are you competing with others? No, no, definitely not myself. It would yeah. be with myself for sure. So you're tough on yourself? Um, no, no. Um, tough on myself in the sense that I have high expectations for myself, definitely. But because I know that I am consistent and I do give it all, if I do fall short, I don't beat down on myself. I never do. I just look at it as, well, what, what can I take from this? What can I own? What was not in my control? And what would I do differently next time? And then apply that. So you're one of those people who's a winner or a learner as opposed to a winner or a loser? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because especially if you're putting yourself out there constantly doing something, you gain all the time. I've learned something from that. I've experienced something that if I was just sitting there and letting the world pass me by, I'd be much worse off, even if I failed. I'd still be worse off not doing something, you know? So where does your confidence come from? But I'm, get, I'm getting this era of confidence. Yeah, like, I think. Can we go back? Can we go back? Like, let's go back, yes. You're, you're a, let's say you're, uh, you were born here, right? I was born in Sydney, yes. So where'd you grow up? Which area? I grew up in Cherrybrook. Cherrybrook, yeah. Lived there until I was 10 and then we nice moved to Nice middle class part of Australia. Yes, yeah, Cherrybrook. It was great. Went to this beautiful public school with my, my cousins lived one block away. So we all went, we were in the same classes. My, my sister's two years older than me. Um, and so we all kind of had this bubble that we lived in with the, my, the Fernandez side of the family were very, very close. And then when I was 10 or 11, we moved to Noosa just for a bit of a change. I think my parents just really Parents stay together? Them. Yes. They're, they're together now. They're actually celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary wow. this year. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. So you, you went up to Noosa again, you know, like, probably a little a level above middle class it was upper middle class yes. so it's a pretty out there environment nursing because when I, mean, I say that it's it's not your normal it's not like big city sort of growing up no but a nurse is sort of a bit privileged it is a bit privileged yeah it is and it's kind of the it's nurse is an interesting town because you've got you've got very much the privileged you know, there's a people with a lot of money Pacing there, Street people and all that, that stuff. oh, gorgeous, yeah. and you know the hinterlands is just yeah. beautiful. But then you've got very much, a, you know, a big population of Noosa and Noosa, the district, yeah, Noosaville, you know, lower income yeah, yeah, families yeah. as well. Um, and I went to a public school there, so there was a mix, a yeah. very, very big mix of quite lower income and and then quite uh, privileged families in that school because it was just a a good area that that school was in. So you did get a really big mix. Um, even if students that maybe if they were living in Sydney, they'd go to a private school there, you had that mix. Uh, I guess I'm trying to work out where does someone like you, because you, a lot of people follow you, you, you get lots of downloads on your, your podcast every week. I mm. mean, pe- people look up to you, you've got, you've got good followings on all your socials. They look up to you. And one of the things that come, I'm getting from you is confidence. And I guess people gravitate, they're attracted to confidence. Yeah. So I'm trying to work out where you got your confidence from. Is it the fact that your mum and dad always supported you and, the, and they're together and they, they always said to you, you know, you can do this, Alexis, no matter yes. what. I mean, what are we talking about? It, it's, I think it's a mix of a couple of things. I think the move helped me massively. I was actually 
I always was confident within the family and within the extended family, always loud, always being on a stage, wanting to perform for everyone, but then put me in school and I had two friends all through school when I was in Sydney and we, I did not leave that bubble. I was quite Bit of a loner at quiet. Yeah, I just had those two friends and we just, that, was, that was it. And then moving to Queensland forced me out of that. It forced me, it shook it up for me and I thought, okay, this is my opportunity to do the exact same thing or to kind of branch out and be more social because I knew that I enjoyed it because I had that in my family life where I was so confident. My parents are incredible. They're always fully supportive. They never blocked any, you know, goal or idea that I had. They were more of the idea of, okay, great, do it. What are you going to do about it? They were never like, oh, is that a good idea? Should you really do that? They were kind of the opposite. If I said, I want to do this. Okay, cool. How are you going to do it? How are we going to, what resources do you need? How are we going to, yeah. So do it basically. And they never, ever put roadblocks in the way. Because I think that even if they thought, oh, that's not a good idea, their idea was like, she's going to find out if that works for her or not. Us standing here saying, don't do that. That's not a good idea. Is just shutting an idea down. It's better to let an idea flourish. Because even if you don't make it in that idea, it might lead you to another path that works for you. So they never, ever, ever shut anything down for myself or for my sister. They were always so. You've done an undergrad degree. You're just about to complete your master's in neuroscience. Um, and you know as well as anybody um, that we build a story about ourselves from a certain point and then um, our brain works in such a way that that becomes who we are. In other mm. words, we convince ourselves about the story because uh, yeah. the you know the connections work this way over and over and over again. We keep confirming that's what we are. Then, we someone, then someone tells you that's what you are and you confirm it again. Then you yeah. go and do what you do and you confirm it again. <laughs> you know, we've got a young exactly. fellow watching this right now. He's a, bo- a boxer, right? And uh, he's sitting over there and, uh, and you know, he would go through his life as a – when he started off boxing, he's beginning to be a boxer and someone told him he's a good boxer. And all of a sudden he becomes the boxer because – you know how the brain works. Yes. And I'll get you to explain it in a minute. That's right. But what was it that you think was developing in your brain? And I'm, I'm talking in a f- physiological sense, like mm-hmm. in a, through the neurotransmitters and synapsing and yes. all the connections, right? <laughs> um, you know, all those connections in your brain. What was it that was building to become, to make you the person you are today? Confident, um, Nerdy, like to like to do well at university or within your degree. Like to learn. Don't positive. Don't feel as though that you're either winning or learning. One of the two, and getting to you to where you are today, like having a big following where people actually look up to you mm. to get techniques about how to deal with their day to day living. I mean, so what do you think it was? Because so far, what you're telling me is all fairly normal. Yes, normal stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, that's you're, right. You're normal, Alexis. To me, yes. Maybe that's it. I'm just, I'm a normal girl, but I can do anything. Yeah. I think for me, what was it, I had this, obviously this great support from my family. They've been incredible and I still, I'm, they're just the best. And I grew up with that. Everything was pretty normal. I wanted to do acting. So up until probably my mid twenties, it was, everything was normal. You know, I, I wanted to do acting, was kind of trying it, but not getting anywhere, getting a few roles here and there. And I don't like to sit and do nothing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to just do an undergrad in the meantime. And I thought, okay, I'll just do maybe psychology. And I enrolled in psychology. And I think halfway through the semester, we had a guest lecture come in um, and he was talking about the anatomy of the brain and what, what brain injuries cause what. And all it was so interesting. And this lesion causes that. And I was 
fascinated. And at the end of the lecture, I'm sprinting down to speak to this man. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to study that. He says, we'll change your major to cognitive neuroscience. Okay, done, done, done. So I changed it and I majored in cognitive neuroscience and then another major in French. And I did, I did all of that. And I finished uni and I had this, this long-term boyfriend who I was thinking, oh, I love him so much. We're going to be together. So everything was just going perfect. Everything was cruising along. It was great. And then one day this guy I was so in love with just broke up with me for no, no, he couldn't give me a reason. He's like, everything's fine. I just can't. can't." Of course there's a reason. And I know like obviously hindsight now, there's all these things that just weren't working. But at the time I couldn't see it and he wouldn't tell me the reason. So at the time, without the knowledge that I have now, I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't have a reason. I don't. And so I. Did it fuck you up? And it, it ruined me. For a long time, for about a year. What does that mean? Like, you know, here's a person who looks like they're pretty much invulnerable um, in terms of what you do today. Mm. You're doing everything. You know, you're, going, you're killing it. Um, but now you're saying that for a year there, maybe you're in your 20s or something, early 20s. Yeah, so I was 25. You, you got fucked up because of what yes. happens. And everybody at some stage or other goes through one of these things. Yes. It happens to everybody. Yes. Um, everybody. Some, in some cases, people like me, I've been through it many times. <laughs> I have since as well. That's to get right. But, but – Point being is, um, how did how did you fix? Can you tell us how you felt? Like, what do you mean it fucked you up? Like, so did I, you for six? he he broke up with me, and then that was that was it. I ne- he never spoke. He's like he died because he never he did not speak. He just completely cut me out of his life. Which now looking back, that was the best thing he could have ever done. If I see him now, I shake his hand like legend. Thank you so much because I've got this is incredible. The gift he gave me then, yeah. I could never have imagined, but. At the time, it was the most horrible thing. I, I gen, that was my first true How love. How did you feel? It was. I felt this sense of powerlessness, abandonment, to, genuine physical pain from heartbreak. I've, I didn't know that was possible. I was just hunched over, crying and crying for weeks. And after two weeks, I just got up. There was a thing, and I moved from Brisbane to Sydney in two weeks after breakup. And I still could not pick myself, get myself out of bed. I was crying every day, but I thought. I can't go. To, we used to work in the same gym. Um, I can't go back there. I don't want. I don't want my employer to say, "Oh, you don't have to come to work." Because I feel I don't want anyone feeling sorry for me. I have to. I want to be able to have to earn my living and not have people. So I moved to Sydney. <laughs> packed everything in my car. My did mum you get and I drove from down. Did, did like, no. You just did all the shit on your own. Yeah, yeah. So moved down. Although I'm a huge advocate for people speaking to somebody one hundred percent, and it probably would have helped me. I probably would have fast tracked the process a lot had I gone and spoken to somebody for sure, but I didn't at the time. And I went down and it was good in a way because it forced me to go out and look for work. No one knew my story. No one, oh, poor Alexis, just no one. So I had to pay my rent. I had to do all of this. And I, I had only saved up enough to survive for, I think it was six weeks without a job. In Sydney. So in Sydney. Expensive so <laughs> city too. And I moved into this horrendous, tiny, tiny apartment, but it was, it was in Coogee right near the water. So I'd go for a swim every day. It was good for the mind. And still I wasn't, I wasn't getting over the heartbreak. I had done all these things. I got all this work. It was fine. I was, Did you finish your degree? I, fi- I finished my undergrad. Yes. So I graduated from the undergrad and I was a Pilates instructor and a personal trainer. As Not well. thinking about master's degrees. Or anything. It hadn't even crossed my mind right. at but the time. So you're working as a Pilates instructor. And I was still really wanting to make it in acting at this time. So I thought Sydney's a good move for me anyway. This is where I need to be. And I was, I was working, I was doing everything. I had gotten everything together in Sydney, but I was still so heartbroken. And it got to a point where I was then embarrassed to tell people that I was still so heartbroken about it that I would 
I remember people would say, oh, are you okay? Is everything fine? And I'd be on the phone and I was just at tears there, my throat. And I remember being on the phone and saying, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, but I've got to go. Someone's calling me and hang up just so I could cry because I couldn't keep it together. I was so upset. And then one day it was about nearly a year on and I thought this is ridiculous. This is getting out of hand. I I need a change. I need to do something that really shakes up my life that can be just for me. So it was a Friday night and I remember I was calling all my friends, my family, no one was free. And I'm like, this is so depressing. It's a Friday night, I'm 26 and I'm alone in my shitty apartment. And it was just, everything was going wrong. And in, in that year, everything had gone wrong. Three of my grandparents had passed away. My dog died. My acting agent dropped me. The guy dumped me. I was like, this is just a joke. The universe is trying to fuck with my head. So I was sitting in bed and I thought, I'm just going to go on Skyscan and just look at, you know, one-way tickets to Paris. <laughs> so I found this $700 flight on, I think, like Southern China Airlines or something. And I thought, that's it. I'm getting it. And I was in bed and I thought if I can memorize my credit card details off the top of my head, it's done. So I just typed in the numbers and I thought I had it. And it was like, confirmed your flight, whatever. And I was like, okay, it's done. I've bought this one way ticket to Paris. And the reason I chose Paris is because I had learned French in uni. And I thought, what's the point of that degree if I'm not going to use it? I'm going to Paris. And then I remember having to tell everyone, I said, I'm going in four months. I've got to save all this money. I've got to, you know, quit all my jobs, give up my apartment. And a few people were thinking, dude, is that a really, is that a good idea? Are you not, are you sure? I was asked a lot. Are you sure you're not running away? Mm. And I said, I am running away. I need to run away. It's not working for me. I need to go somewhere different. And it's not bad to run away from something that doesn't work for you. Fair enough if you keep trying and trying, but it just was, I wasn't happy. So I said, yes, I'm running away from a life that doesn't make me happy. So that's what I'm doing. And I remember the night before I left to Paris, I was in Brisbane because I was flying out of Brisbane. I flew back to see my family. I was there for about a week and I went for a run the night before and I was running and I sat down by the river and I remember just crying again about this man again. I think, why? I've got this trip tomorrow. Everything's happening for me. It's so exciting. Why, why, why? And I remember thinking in my head, I just need closure. If I just had closure and then it's like a voice, it's like I was taught, I was watching myself think and then another voice like it appeared to me and I said, why do you need closure from him? What could he tell me that would change my situation right now? Because I'm trying to wait, what does you want to know? Well, Why'd you leave me? Yeah, I guess, I guess I was so desperate to know why, what could I have done differently? Were you worried about what is it in you that was yes. filing with for him? Yes, yes. I think I was so worried to get into another relationship because I was terrified that I didn't know what had gone wrong and I didn't know. And it was all, it was just excuses for me because I didn't want to do the, I think ultimately I wasn't ready to do the hard work of truly letting go. I was still holding on to hope still. And then I had this moment where I thought, I don't need closure. That is just a lie. I've told myself and that's why I'm so sad. I've held on to this for so long when the only person ultimately that can give me closure is me. That's it. Mm. No one. He could come in and tell me every reason under the sun. It wouldn't change anything at the end of the day. And I don't think that it's healthy to be putting your mental health at the, you know, in someone else's hands. I'll be okay when you tell me this. That's terrible. It's a terrible thing to tell to yourself. It's saying that you don't have control over when you're going to be finally happy. I thought, I'll be happy. I'll be able to get over it when you do. No, because I'm putting that in his hands and he's no longer in my life and he's made that decision and he has the right to make that decision and live his life. He doesn't owe me anything. 
we're not together. So I had this epiphany and I was like, what? okay. And I remember sitting up, stopped crying instantly. And I thought, okay, no, this feels really good. I, I have the power now. I've taken power back. I've just given it back to myself. I don't need, to the extent that I was thinking that, honestly, if I saw him right now and he said, do you want closure? I'd be like, no, I don't. Thank you very much. And I was just ready, <laughs> ready. And then I remember I ran home and I was in a really good mood. I was like, okay, fine, fine, fine. And then I flew to Paris the next day, got there. It was raining. I was drenched by the time I got to the apartment, checked in. Um, and the lady, you know, showed me around. I had this little apartment with these two little balconies that looked over the Eiffel Tower. It was just perfect. And then I went downstairs and I bought some wine, cheese, and I don't smoke, but I bought cigarettes because, you know, I was in Paris. So I went upstairs and I just poured myself a glass of wine, lit a cigarette, and I was on this balcony and I thought, this is exactly where I need to be in my life right now. This I've made, I've made it. I'm happy. Like, this is it. And I never looked back. No plan though. You, you didn't have a plan. How long are you going to stay? No, I didn't. I didn't have a plan. I was there. I ultimately was there for about three months and then I went to Morocco for a month. I was in Spain for a while as well. And then I came back and then I went back again for a working with a working holiday visa. So I returned and I was working, teaching about six months later, I returned the following year. Teaching what? Uh, teaching English? Pilates. Pilates. Okay. Pilates there. Yeah. Half in, mainly in English to expats, but then a few half English, half French. I was learning how to do it in French. And I even made, you know, French friends there. I was like, I'm not going to meet Australians. I just want to meet French people. So I ended up having this like girl group of French girls and they just took me under their wing and I was part of that group. I still talk to them to today. I message them all the time. And it was the biggest experience I ever had of personal growth ever in the sense that I realized that I, I had so much more power and control over my circumstances that, I mean, you can't control what happens outside of you. You can't. To an extent you can, but ultimately you can't. If there's someone else involved, there's only so much control you have and you can't make someone do something or make someone feel a certain way. But you do have a lot of power when it comes to how you perceive situations and what you're going to do about it. And that's where your power is. So was it for you, was it, did you feel as though, I was just trying to get to the, my head around this, but did you feel it was unfair? I did. Of course. It was, is that because are you one of those people yes. who are like, that's not fair. Yes. That's not right. Yes. That's just unfair. A hundred percent. And you sit on that. I sat on that. And and, and, and that kills you. And I was a victim. I felt like the victim in this situation and I didn't understand and I did think it was very unfair and I, co I could not see how a relationship at the time, what I perceived to be, was so perfect and someone could be like, mm, no. But then looking back now. Well, what was it? Why the fuck did you do I mean, do you think you, you, we put in pressure or did he think it feel as though he had, he had to marry you or something? No, because I never, I myself didn't even have a, so what, an what, idea. What, I, mean, I mean, can you just throw one over this way I and tell honestly, me why? What do you reckon it is? I honestly think that he loved me but wasn't in love with me. I just don't yeah. think he was in love with me. And we got along very well and I was very much in love with him. But I don't think that was there for him. And I think he wanted it so badly but couldn't. And he was also very, very hard on himself and he was always trying to improve this, trying to improve that. I think he could never even celebrate a win when he had it. He was very perfectionist. And I think he tried to do that in the relationship but I just definitely was not the person for him. and. Because the relationship seemed so good, because we had a lot of fun and we did, in my eyes, we were the perfect couple. But I just don't think he was in love with me, which is And he doesn't fine. have to be. No, absolutely not. Yeah, he doesn't no. have to be. But can you, can, just on that topic, um, could you just uh, tell me your opinion? Or I always have trouble with this word in love, um, especially when people say they fell in love, like mm. it sounds like you're descending. Yeah. <laughs> 
like in love. I mean, and you know, you're studying you're, you're studying the science of the brain and why we think certain ways. Yes. Um, and you've done uh, cognitive neuroscience as an undergrad, so that's all about understanding, you know, why we do things. What does that mean? I'm in love, as opposed to I love someone. I think it is a mix between conscious, consciously perceiving something in a person and, and, and being aware that you like these things in them, but also it is, it is a release of oxytocin, this neurochemical. But oxytocin can be released with friends romantically. Sex. Um, sex, definitely. That's a huge one. And then the biggest release of oxytocin that will ever happen is childbirth, mm. the mother and the child, and that's how they bo- initial bond. Um, but, but so if it is a release of chemi- chemicals, um, you know, like it's the reward center. Yes. S- s- yes. Sends out this particular um, chemical, um, in this case, oxytocin. Um, then there's no such thing as, well, there is. There's a word that says I'm in love, but it's really just a, a few words trying to describe the chemical response that your brain and body is having to some sort of situation. Yes. Yeah. And to be honest, even with so that chemical, in a way, you could perceive it as all being just bullshit. Like you never fall in love again? Because no, no, you're because say, you know how the brain works now. So you're going to say, oh, it's just a. <laughs> well, the, it's interesting because this chemical reaction actually in, in couples fades after about two years, that, that, that intensity. So then you have to replace it with booze. No. <laughs> with really toxic behaviors. No, <laughs> no you have to replace it with. Um, Things that draw you closer to a person. So it's not to say that you've got to have some, some, everything in common with that person, but what are things that – that's why I think that when you meet someone who you share the same morals and values, everything else can be different, but that's what brings you together, you know? And I think that if you can find someone that you resonate with on a deep level and you can find a way to always be respecting each other and always be thinking, how can I make – if you mutually think, how can I make your day better? you're going to be quite a successful couple because you, you feel better when you make someone happy. And if you're always doing that for each other, then you're always feeling a sense of uh, like a release of, you know, these neurochemicals of bonding even after the two years. But then you're also feeling a sense of accomplishment, a feeling of growth within the, within the relationship. And that's one of the, the ways to strengthen a relationship because if you just – if you're banking on just the chemical release of the honeymoon period, that's when it's not going to go well. Well, you, you probably don't have to do it because you do that with your community. So Alexis right now, not right now, but when she does her podcast and all her various things that you do, mm. you're actually helping your community. You're, you're yes. throwing something back at them. I mean, yes. I mean, you're really doing this in an unselfish, selfish way. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you're being unselfish but you're being selfish. That's right. Um, and I know I, I'm the same because I do it with my, my mental business. So I'm, I'm quite open about it. Um, I do mentor because it's selfish from a selfish point of view. I'm happy to help people and I don't get any money for it. But I'm happy to help people because it actually makes me feel better. Yes. Because I get the release of whatever it is in my brain, That's whatever right. the chemical is. Um, you know, I used to get that out of training and other things. Um, but I, you know, I, my body sort of got a bit used to that now over, over millions of years of doing it. Mm. So I'm, I get my jollies. Yes. Out of helping people. I do as well. And it's, it's Great. very true. So does that mean that you will find, is it, and we're getting a bit deep in here, but like, does that mean that it is harder for you than to have a proper one relationship, one-on-one relationship, because you've got one on many thousands now and you're getting, uh, let's call it jollies, it's just a, you know, it's just a word, mm. but you're getting your jollies from helping everybody else and then you've got less ability to produce something more for yourself in relation to the one-on-one relationship you might have with someone. 
So is there a substitute process going on? There, there's a process in the sense that you've got to find a way to divide what's a true connection versus like a true human one-on-one connection that's, that's deeper, which I have with, with my boyfriend, which I have with my best friends, my sisters, my family, versus someone in my audience who I truly do love and appreciate these messages like crazy. There's, it, 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 like you said, it's for selfish purposes as well. I absolutely love it. It's, it is my purpose and it's what I see myself doing for a very long time because I've just, I've found something that's clicked for me. And, but it gets to a point where even you have to find a point where you think I have to switch off. I have to switch off because I'm being pulled in so many directions and I don't feel grounded. So no matter how much I adore this connection with the people that listen to the podcast with all everyone, I have to, you know, have hours on end where I'm completely switching off, not, not zero notifications coming up on my phone. I have to turn everything off and just turn to the one-on-one proper human connections. And that's where I recharge my batteries with those people. So you go, okay. So you go from, you go from a group connection, so to speak, to a one-on-one connection. I get that because people do pull, pull, push and pull mm. you know, all over the joint. But do you then go for periods of complete detachment? Yeah, yeah. And I also- Either way, no one-on-one, no community, just just Alexis. Yes, yes. I love being alone. Mm. I love it. And I'm a very social person. I'm a very social person. Which those sort of things fly in the face of each other. So why don't you explain how that works? Because, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, fuck, I've got to be more social. And a lot of people think, "I'm uh, no, I don't want to be social. Mm. But maybe explain how those two can interact. Yeah, I think that people think that if you like being alone, then you're a loner or you're an introvert or you're whatever. And I don't like putting labels on everything. I think people love to label themselves. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I'm this type. I'm that mm. type, which is fine. But we're more complex than that, I think. And I think that it depends on what stage of the day, month, week, year that you're in and you've got to kind of cater to that and know when to pull back and when to give more. So I think that everybody has the capacity to be really social and then want to be alone. But I think that to really enjoy your own company, that's a goal that everyone should have. Because if you can really enjoy your own company, it means that you are okay with the thoughts that are going on in your own head. I know a lot of people that cannot sit with their thoughts. They refuse. Yeah, they so, run out and Socialize. Yes. Yeah, they're socialized or they have to be on their phone. They have to be watching something on TV. They ha- they cannot just – a book is even too too much peace for mm. them. They can't do it. To tell someone to go for a walk with nothing, no music, no, they can't fathom it. They have to be around people all the time. And it's because they're not happy with who they are or with the thoughts that they're producing in their own mind. And so I think that if if you can learn to just sit and be alone and learn to love your own company, then – you're going to find a lot more joy in other areas of your life. What, what would you say to somebody who is a, a, like a butterfly in terms of social or a moth in terms of social mm-hmm. environment? In other words, every bright light they see they're attracted to. Yes. Um, what would you say to that moth? You know, uh, you know, turn the lights off. How would, how would they deal with it? I mean, how, how, I mean, how do you do How did you become comfortable with yourself? I think I started becoming really comfortable with myself massively when I did that trip to Paris the first mm-hmm. time because I so was alone. Forced. It was forced. Yeah. It was kind of forced into change. I, I pushed myself into change. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, I got myself here. I got myself out of that. I got, and I started really respecting myself. Not that I didn't respect 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Myself, I just never thought about it in the past. I was kind of cruising. Everything was easy in my life. I never really came up, up against a challenge. That was the first emotional challenge that I ever went through, and I managed to get myself through it. I never, I don't, everyone can get over people differently, but I never tried to get into another relationship. I couldn't do the apps. I thought, no, 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 no. I don't want to replace it. I just want to truly get over it before I start to meet other people and do anything like that. So I was really, really single, not dating at all. And that to me taught me that I can pull myself out of it. I can do this for myself. I can be alone and go on all these adventures alone and meet new people and, you know, throw myself in the deep end and see how quickly I rise to the surface. And then I really started enjoying doing that and putting myself in these situations where I'd have to swim. And I, I started to love that a real feeling. great sense of freedom in that. Yeah, massive. And, massive. and also understanding yourself. I mean, I, I, for, you know, like, I, mean, I, I guess, as I said, most people go through at least one breakup in their life at some stage or other. But some people just fall straight back into what they were doing before, like literally overnight. Yes. Um, which I think is a mistake. Um, I think everybody needs to enjoy a period of time in their life where they have to fend for themselves emotionally. Yes. Like, uh, it's really, really important. I agree. What I, what I find uh, fascinating is that you use the word I think a lot. Um, um, are you a, a real ponderer on all topics that relate to sort of, I mean, we, we talked about the scientific side of things, but just yes. all the things that relate to how you, how you feel, how you, um, how you interact. Are yeah. You, I do. I definitely do. I always, I, I do ponder those things a lot, especially because it's always a point of discussion within, you know, the podcast and mm. people will ask me questions, which then make me think about it from different angles. I've gotten better. I never used to, but now I, I really try to look at everything from both angles or more if there are, you know, I try to, it's so interesting to see some people get so passionate about a topic without ever putting themselves in the shoes of the person on the other end. And and I think it's really, really, that's what, yes. Because that takes me into your podcast. You sort of become a, a group psychologist. I know, I know. <laughs> Whereas, and you, you were talked out of doing a psychology degree by the dude that impressed you, you who you raced down to talk to. Yes. And talked to you in doing neuro, cognitive neuroscience and now you're doing a neuroscience degree, which, you know, neuroscience actually to some extent flies in the face of psychology because they're different, they're different disciplines. They're yes. To, totally different disciplines. Um, and in some ways, neuroscience, um, um, some ways, I, I like science. I like anything that's scientific. Mm. I don't like anything that's not scientific. I don't like anything that's not backed up by logic and or um, um, intelligence and data and et cetera. So yeah. and in some ways, neuroscience flies in the face of psychology. In fact, it, in my mind, it defeats psychology. 
A, lo- a lot of the time it does. As a discipline. As a discipline. Yeah. A lot of the time so, it does. So, yeah, no, yeah. I got a problem. Or I go and see a psychologist, psychologist, I work with a psychologist. Or would I go and see a neuroscientist, a neuroscientist says, well, the reason you're thinking this way, Mark, is because, you know, yes. the chemical, blah, blah, blah. And if I then, you need to change the way you think. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. And there's certain things that you can do, different behaviours, and that's where kind of psychiatry comes in because it's more of a, mix a, of the two. a, more of a mix of the two. And even now, we're, I'm studying out of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney, and they, they're, they're really trying to bring the two together, psychology and neuroscience, because before it was a lot more separated. And now, really, you can't have the mind without the brain or the brain without the mind. They're so intertwined that you've got all these people studying the science of it, all these people studying the behavior of it, but really that behavior is a product of the anatomy and the chemicals and the processes that are occurring in the first place. So it's, it's really interesting, the interaction between the two, and I think that in the, those two fields need to get a lot closer together. So you, yeah. maybe you could explain the BMC. Um, it's a quite a significant um, initiative by the University of Sydney and mm. RPA. Um, Maybe you can explain what BMC Brain and Mind Centre does. Um, my mother, for example, went to the Brain and Mind Centre. She was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. That was my first oh, experience with really? um, BMC. And uh, and I met a few um, neurologists there who, you know, they, they're the ones who do the do the work with these people who have MMD. But MMD is a bit of a more a bit slightly different because there's a disease of the brain or, or a degeneration. But there of is the a lot. Brain. There's a lot of uh, study on degeneration of the brain at the, at yeah. the Brain and Mind Centre. But but in terms of um, what the Brain and Mind Centre does. Um, Maybe you could explain what the BMC does. Um, so the Brand and Mind Centre, it's it is primarily a research facility, but they run the master's degree out of the Brain and Mind Centre, and it is a part of the university, and that's where I, where everyone studies there. They have a different lecturer come in and teach each topic. So th- over the thirteen weeks of a semester, you've got a different lecturer for every class because they have experts in the field of, you know, glial cells, experts in the field of. Alzheimer's disease and the progression of, you know, the pathology coming in. And it's just absolutely incredible because you're, you're, you're being taught by the best of the best in the fields that they're in. And then within the Brain and Mind Centre, they've got the labs there, the wet labs, they've got the, the Lambert Initiative, which is um, all like the cannabinoid research. Yeah, for people with epilepsy, et cetera. Yes, exactly. And which is apparently is working wonders. It is, it like, is. I mean, I, I heard a statistic the other day that um, someone who was having um, – uh, you know, 10, 10 to 12 episodes a day of epilepsy who went on to the uh, cannabinoids, you know, cannabis, um, it, it changed, it, it turned it from 10 a day to seven a month. Yes. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think they know why that's the case, but, um, but nonetheless it That's worked. right. And they're still trying to really work out the processes, but the way, but you know. We're talking about chemistry now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and electricity, chemistry, chemistry and physics. That's right. I mean, yes. for me, that's really important. Yes. Chemistry, electricity. And, and physics exactly is, to me is more important than someone sitting down there now. Um, now, um, t- tell me, Alexis, about uh, how this relationship works. You know, like uh, yeah. fuck. You know, like and 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 what I think I find really interesting when people say, "Oh, you know, this is trauma from this is trauma." Well, no, well, but you've got to explain what why is trauma causing now this in your life, and it all comes down to a chemical something chemical or, or, or yeah or electrical that's occurred in the brain the way your brain starts to be wired at a young age can then determine your personality as a teenager or as an adult so the reason you're having problems in your relationships now is because you literally wired your brain differently as a child yeah. based on certain experiences it ultimately all comes down to the 
you know, the actual makeup of the brain and what processes are occurring, what is there a lack of, what is there too much from an early age often, or, or of course you can have then damage or a disease or lesions or concussion. There's all these factors that then play in later on in life, but the, the foundation, the building blocks of the brain and how the synapses are formed at these crucial times in your life, that then is going to play into how you perceive relationships, how you perceive yourself and the world, what you you create this internal working model, a belief system about yourself and the world, and that's formed at a very young age when the brain is being, you know, developed. And influenced by people around us. Of course, massively, massively, like massively. Family, friends, yeah. you know, Primary colleagues. caregivers for sure are the ones that in the first three years are going to form how you then perceive the world. Right. So I read a book once called Neurocomic, and it's a book written by a neuroscientist and uh, it was illustrated by a an illustrator, comic illustrator. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great book. I want to read it. That sounds good. <laughs> it's, it's called Neurocomic, and um, it's been around for about maybe ten years. And uh, and it talks about exactly what you just said. Um, you know, we build a story about ourselves, and it and it goes through the the neuroscience of how we build a story about ourselves at the moment in terms of um how everything interacts over time. But it also suggests that if that story about yourself is not working for you, you can rebuild it. Yes, you can. You can start yes. all over again. Yes. If you understand that, oh, hang on, I built this. Yes. And you understand, which is why I was trying to go back to your younger days. Um, if I, I know that I've landed here today, this is where I am today, this is me and I'm not happy with what I'm doing because mm-hmm. it doesn't have great outcomes for me for whatever the reasons are. And if I know that I, if I can go back and realize, oh, I guess this is where cognition is important, but like this is what got me to there. Yes. These are the things that influenced my brain to be built this way but I don't really want to be that person. I'm going to be somewhere over here. Yes. You can do that, can you? You can. The brain is incredibly moldable. Plastic. It's, it's plastic. Yeah. The brain is plastic. And synapses. Which is what you, you would explain what plasticity means, by the way. Yeah, so plasticity basically means that it can, it can um, change and then reshape and rechange again and again and again throughout its life. The brain. It can be, the brain. The brain. So you've got your, your neurons are kind of set. There are certain areas of the brain where you can grow more neurons. At the a few you know, a decade ago, they thought that wasn't possible. It, it is possible, but one thing that is always changing are your synapses, the connections between the neurons. That's constantly in the state of flux, constantly, constantly. And there's this thing that they teach you from lecture one in your undergrad to the last lecture in your masters. It sells that fire together, wire together. So if you're constantly thinking of the same thoughts, those. Uh, Pathways turn into highways, and it's very, very easy to then think that thought and spiral down. That's it. In other words, that's all that exists, by the way. Yes. That's my highway. Yes, exactly. I can't go any other way. Exactly. And the thicker that pathway, the harder it is to change. Possible, but it just is harder. And then if you start to think what you want, I think a lot of people think, but how do I cut that highway? You don't. You just stop servicing the highway. You start feeding another. And if you're not using it, you lose it. It's with everything. It's with everything that you do in life. If you don't use it, you lose it. Same goes for connections and synapses in your brain. If you start using another road more and more and more, it gets thicker, thicker, there's more traffic. The other one is not going to get fed with, you know, blood supply, oxygen, and it's going to start, those connections will, will start to die off. So you'll have a residual memory of it stored in your brain, but the accessibility to it will be way harder. So who's, so like, let's say somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, wow, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, I don't really like who I am, where I am but I'd like to be somewhere else. Um, I'm backing myself. I have the ability to do it. Who the fuck do they go and talk to? <sighs> I mean, you don't go to a psychologist. I'm not going to tell you that. No, no. A psychiatrist is probably give you tablets. 
That's right. With well, the greatest respect to him, and I know some. Yeah, but psychiatrists are more going to deal with, you know, more disorders of the brain. So they're not going to deal yeah. with someone who's trying to just better themselves. Yeah, yeah. Psychiatrists, t- you know, so, yeah, I know what you mean by that. I mean, and they're not going to go and talk to um, Tom Cruise at uh, Scientology. I mean, because, <laughs> you know, but, but that's another yeah, way of doing this. Right. Well, yes. Scientology is another way of doing it. I mean, it is. they have all these devices and shit like that, but it's the same sort of deal. That's right. That's what they hate psychologists. It's this concept that you go there to better yourself. That's yeah. that's the yeah, concept correct. behind it. And get rid of the shit out of your life. Yes. The thing that's bothering you, you grab hold of the, the whatever you call it, the thing. Because, you know, i tell you a funny story. When... Um, <laughs> It's going back a while, but when uh, Tom Cruise was looking after James Packer and James was part of Scientology, um, somehow James talked Tom into sending out his number one guy uh, in out of LA yeah. to Australia, and uh, he was trying to recruit people. And I'm I'm close to James, and James got this dude to come and talk to me, and uh, you know I knew straight away he's trying to get fucking money from me, but uh, <laughs> you know because they get ten percent of everything you got to earn That's or right, something. Yeah, and yeah. fuck that, no way. <laughs> That's an expensive psychologist. Um, and uh, but I remember the guy sitting down talking to me, and he was extraordinary. It was so he had so much charm and good mm. looking, and the guy was a dude like it was fawn. Yeah, and it, with American the whole thing, and um, he obviously didn't get me. Well, not obviously, but he didn't get me anyway. But what I found found was a quite attractive or appealing was the way he sold it in. And but it was what it was quite appealing about it was sort of what you're saying now is that. We can help you change what you don't like about yourself. Yes. And we have really simple techniques. Mm-hmm. And that was appealing to me. Yeah. Because I thought, well, I don't want to sit with psychologists forever. Like, and not that I had anything I wanted to change. It was just an appealing discussion. I it was is. okay. He was out there har- trying to harvest people who were friends of James. And he got, I know he got a couple of people too, by the way. But, but still, I found that attractive. And I think what you're saying is quite attractive. Like, yeah. you know, like if we understand where we are today and we understand where we want to be for whatever the reason is, we want to leave at that spot and go over here. Yes. As a person, then you can retrain, you can stop feeding the highway, stop putting the tolls in that tollway and <laughs> exactly. go another route. Yeah, you can. Yeah. The main thing is, is you, have to, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. You have to acknowledge it first. And then a lot of people don't know what they want. They know what they don't want. And that's where the problem lies for a lot of people. They're sitting here thinking, well, I don't want this. This is shit. I don't want this. And so then if they try and change something, they're just trying to change, I don't want to be here, so I'll go to this other uncomfortable place. Oh, that's also uncomfortable. I'll just go back to the devil I know. Yeah. And it's this constant yo-yo back and forth. It's when people set a goal or something they really, really want to achieve, they'll just, you know, often it's the goal is to get away from something, you know, say I'm overweight, I want to lose weight. So their goal is I want to lose weight, I want to get away from that body that I am. Instead of thinking I want to feel great every morning, I want to do this, I want to run a half marathon, I've got all these tangible, measurable goals that I want to run towards, that's what's going to be the driving force to get you there. And that's what's going to start to change the way you think, change the way you act, raise your standards for how you're going to behave every single day. Because I think everyone looks at people that achieve good things in their life and think they just must wake up with motivation. No, they don't. They just want it more than you do, ultimately. That's what it is. That's a good point, by the way. (laughs) People do think that. People do think that. Yes. And that's why everybody's so interested in what everybody's routine is. Exactly. So I'm always getting people saying, well, what's your routine, Mark? You know, what time you get up, what do you do? Yeah, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not particularly driven. Like I'm not actually dr- driven. I get excited about things. Yes. I get uh, excited about changing something for an outcome that I want to get, I want to achieve. And that, yeah. that if I'm not excited, I don't actually do all the things I would ordinarily do. But when I'm excited about somewhere I want to land mm. and, I, and I know it's possible, 
then I start, I bring everything into force. I bring everything into play. I get up early, I train, I eat well. Yes. You know, I surround myself with the right people, blah, 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 blah. And I get there. I get, you've got to be excited about something. Exactly. That's right. So exactly. it makes me I fucking hate where I am. This shits me. You yeah. Know, you know, this, 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 this is not fair. This is, not, this is a shit go. You know, why am I here and he's over there or she's over there? Exactly. You've got to say, no, I, th- that's, this is something exciting about me. For me, I want to get to there. Yeah. That's very exciting. So how important is it to in, um, co- incorporate people to help you in these environments? I don't mean a psychologist, but like maybe surrounding yourself with the right people. You, you do have to surround yourself with the right people. And I think a big thing is that people struggle to do that because they instantly think that they're competing against people. A lot of people will say, oh, you know, I can't be reaching out to that person or I can't be trying because, you know, they're my direct competition or they're that or that. I think people, people who feel threatened then will find ways of avoiding these situations where they, you know, instead of approaching someone that they're intimidated by and reaching out, complimenting them, you know, it could be anything, just a hello, a compliment, that was really good. Even if they're your, your biggest rival, instead of keeping that rivalry, what would happen if you turned it around and said, you did so much better than me on that. That was awesome. How did you do it? You yeah, know. what can I learn from it? Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, you know, you it's, start it, to change I, that's, that's so cool because uh, it's, is that a problem, generally speaking, on average for people in the world that they can't get, therefore they can't get off the highway? Yes. You're, you're talking yeah. about. A lot of the time it is, definitely. And I think people get so stuck in their, oh, if, if we didn't get along, then we can't get along in anything. If, we, yeah. if this didn't work, then, or they'll have an idea of somebody of you're there for that reason and I'm here for this reason. You, the reason you're in that position is because you're lucky. You are um, gifted. You know, gifted. You're just naturally smart. You're this, so I can't achieve that. But, you know, so people have this idea instead of thinking, no, it's not the case. It doesn't matter if their parents are wealthy or not. A lot of the time the way they got there is because they actually applied themselves or because they actually did something. I think people have this idea of other people and the reason they've succeeded is because they've got something external that allowed them to succeed. A blessing. A blessing of some sort. They were either in the right place at the right time. They they were lucky and they won that. Somebody just for, for no reason helped them. It's not for no reason. That person's obviously resourceful and they've managed to get to where they are for a reason. But those resources are something that you yourself can also get. But people then create this divide by saying, well, we're different because you're lucky and I'm not. And I could just slog it out and work so hard, but I'm just never going to be in that position. So they, they instantly create a divide of I'm this kind of person, you're that kind of person, and you're, um, what's the word, you're privileged. Yeah. You know? I think people look at other people as you're in a privileged situation um, and I'm not. And that's where a lot of divide happens in a lot of people. That's where competition is, jealousy. Are we seeing that now? Like um, do we see that white? male versus all the other groups. Yeah. Is, is that something that's is, is, is sort of in community now? Like uh, I think white so. males are privileged? I think they're seen as, yes, more white privileged. White male middle class privileged. White male uh, middle class is more privileged. Non-white or, 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 you know, like you know, brown, black, just non-white. But you, they would say, well, I'm not even white men, but I don't know, some, find someone else. But I don't know who they are, these people. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, is that, that, that thought process, is, is that, that privileged pro- thought process is starting to creep in our community now. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think it's all well and good to, it's fine to acknowledge, okay, yes, someone is privileged, yes, someone's not. I think privilege should come into it when you're thinking, is someone give, given an unfair advantage over that person? That's where it should be looked at. 
Yeah, where the system does that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's systemized. That's where that should be changed. Mm. Is someone for no reason other than the colour of the skin getting an unfair advantage? Or does someone feel entitled because they have the colour of their skin or who they are? That's where it could should be. Or entitlement is a good part. That's a good point. Yes. Someone feels entitled. Yes. Because of the colour of their skin. Because of the colour of their skin, exactly. Or, or where they're born, how they're born. That's right. Cast. But the the downside to that is I don't want people thinking they got there because of the and the, and then shutting down all no, possibility I didn't for get themselves. No, because they got there because of that. Exactly. Because yeah, 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 I mean, I, I look. I know people who do well are people with talent, like uh, like not a particularly not particularly talent, but they have the talent for the thing they've chosen to do. The talent, mm-hmm. a talent. It doesn't have to be the best talent in the world. No. Um, but they get rewarded for their effort and for their for their application. Yes. And like how many people do you know that um, everyone says, oh, he or she is what they are because of they're talented, whereas no one ever looks at all the work that gets put behind it no. to get you there. So they would say um, you got to where you are because you have a talent. Yes. As opposed to saying, shit, let's have a little scratch behind this and have a look what's this dig behind this yeah. and see what she actually puts You've into it. You've done seven years at uni. You've done this. But every day, every single <laughs> exactly. day, every yeah. single day, seven and days a week. It's this daily, 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 daily thing that's gotten me where I am, that's gotten you where you are. Ultimately, you're always doing something towards it, whether it seems slightly irrelevant or whether it's totally relevant. There's always energy going towards what you're doing constantly. There was this interview with Eva Longoria and she said that it's funny because everyone was calling her an overnight success after Desperate Housewives came out like yeah. 15 years ago. And she said, it's so funny that my overnight is 15 years of slogging it out, auditions, 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 this small role, small. So for everyone else, it's like, well, she's an overnight success where she's been working her ass off for 15 years in that industry. And so it didn't, she's like, it doesn't feel overnight for me, but for everyone else it does. And so I think a lot of people think, wow, she's so lucky. She just got handed to her on a plate because they haven't seen I all the work. I fucking hate that when people say <laughs> it, it indicates a lack of intelligence in me, to be yes. honest. I'm, and I, and, I, and I'm, I'm a little bit uh, – um, I don't have much tolerance for that. Um, we've been going sort of deep into a, a lot of stuff, a lot of territory. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I, I need to just talk to you quick. I, I want to understand – the name of your podcast, Do You Fucking Mind? I mean, it's yes. not quite fucking because do you F dot 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 G. <laughs> I know. It was mind. supposed to be Do You Fucking Mind and then. Tell yeah. me about why did you start that and why did you call it that? Okay. So. And, and it's, it's confronting. Yes. It's just something I can give a shit about the name, but at least some people would be confronted by it, but it actually pays, gets people to pay attention. Yes. So the reason, the reason I started it in the first place is because I was always trying to find a way to combine all my passions together. I love. Being on a stage, I love talking to people. I love resonating with an audience you of like some sort. Love to perform. I love to perform. Yeah, and you like to give, to love to perform. You got to be able to give something to your audience. Yes, it's, performance about giving. Exactly, that's right. It is. It's about giving. It is about giving. Whether you're acting or whether you're yourself, yep. you are giving. Whether it's energy, whether it's information, whether Correct. it's entertainment. So I loved that, and I knew that that I absolutely loved that. But I also loved the brain. And I used to always get told that every time people used to say to me, and all different people, every time you start to talk about the brain, your eyes light up and you get so excited. It's so cool. The brain is so yeah. cool. It's underdone because yeah. we never talk about it enough. That's it. And I'm, I'm trying to tell everyone who will listen a fact about the brain. And so I thought, okay, it would be really cool to have something where I can combine the two. And I was thinking maybe a YouTube channel, maybe just more on the Instagram. How can I do it? Maybe a podcast. I don't know. And then my friends, Lucy and Nikki, they've got a podcast and they had me on as a guest. Uh, January last year, about a year and a half ago. 
And I just loved doing the podcast. I loved the whole thing, talking around a table. Just And I thought, this is perfect. I, I can just start a podcast. It's quite easy to start for me. I can afford it. I can, it's so, I bought a hundred dollar mic and I plugged it into the, you know, garage band and that's how I started. And it just honestly went so well from the beginning, from the beginning. And everything that I've done so far has all been just word of mouth. It's just all spread through word of mouth and it's just gone from, you know, strength to strength in the last 14 months at the podcast. But you, you only began 40 months, you're killing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been incredible. And I'm getting so many people that message me saying, I never thought I'd be interested in the science bit of your podcast, but I love it. I live for that science section of, I'm getting all these young people saying, I've never thought about it, but now I want to study neuroscience. I want to study the brain. I want to do this. So I'm so thrilled that there's these young adults that are loving knowing about their own brain and their brain health. Is it because you want to do a, a, a female in science? Like, a, you know, like we hear about it a lot. There's not enough females in science, but is it because you wanted to be a female in science or is it, and or do you I want to give tips so. to yeah. people? Do you want to help people? I definitely want to help people. I definitely want to because help Because I know people. you give tips to people. You give practical outcomes to people. Yes. You, you give everyone can take one thing away. Every, every, yes, exactly. How I can apply to my life in a practical sense. And, it, and it, is, it is that practicality. I want to legitimately help people. It's not these people who try and, you know, sell this rubbish that, oh, if you apply this one weird statement, it's going to change your life forever. If you apply it's not it, a secret. It's, it's practical learn how to be accountable. Do you want to own your own shit? Are you going to, you know, it, it's, it's stuff that a lot of people don't like to do and can't be bothered because it's the actual your book. Be bold. <laughs> be bold, which I actually love the color. I love orange because uh, Thank you. orange, um, orange is a very important color. I mean, I don't know if you chose orange for this reason, but um, it, it's particularly in places like India. Um, yeah. There's a, a feeling of abundance and uh, orange is uh, considered to be a sacred colour. I don't know oh, if you've Oh, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know it, that. It's, um, and be bold is a good name. Manifest your dream life. I mean, dream life is a, is a phrase that people in, um, you know, 20 to 35 sort of that they talk about dream life all the time. Yes. Um, that's very clever. Um, and <laughs> in, in your book you do talk about own your shit. Yes, definitely. Right at the beginning, like in the first chapter sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which I thought was uh, – I, I like that ownership of stuff. Ownership. People don't like to be accountable. Stop handing over to somebody else, yes. abrogating your own obligations to somebody else or somebody else to deal with that. Yeah. No, own it. Own it. Do you know how much more I respect someone when they can admit they were wrong and apologize? I actually have more respect mm. than if you prove to me that you were right. Mm. Just not because I have to be right, but I found that I started feeling more powerful when I could admit I was wrong. It's intellectual power. Yes. Because if intellectually, you can get over the fact yes. that you're wrong. It means that you're actually in control. If you can't let go of your emotional attachment to being right or being the one that was hard done by or being the victim, you're never going to grow and you actually have no power because it holds power over you. If you can say, I'll take responsibility for that, I was wrong. I'll take responsibility for that because it was my actions that caused this, which can be changed and which I now acknowledge. So is that what you said earlier on, though, Alexis, that um, you acknowledged that you didn't need closure yes to make yourself feel better exactly or to stop yourself from crying exactly in relation to what happened to you with, with your ex exactly because I, I was avoiding doing the hard work of actually getting over it and actually putting myself out there and being vulnerable and and being myself again I was you know it, it was painful but it was at least it wasn't scary I was just you know oh, hoping that he'd come back and whatever and I was in a very powerless position and it's very boring and so powerless is the opposite of this be bold exactly Bold is 
powerful. Yes. Um, um, is this is this you um, reaffirming the synapsing in your own yes, neurological definitely, system? Definitely. To say this is who I am, this is my story. Exactly. This is Alexis. Yes, definitely. Because it goes through different journeys of, you know, a lot of people think that they're doing all the right things because they just haven't come across hardship. And then when they do, that's when you realize what's actually there. Are you going to crumble? Are you going to rebuild? Are you going to be the victim? Are you going to hold on to this for the next decade? Or are you going to do something about it? And that's when you start to really learn. People don't make major growth until they've come across a crossroads or a hardship or some sort of hurdle. Yeah, you know? and, and, and it's interesting you didn't call it trauma. Um, I, I interviewed a guy called John Kavanagh. John Kavanagh is... Um, um, he's a very well, he's a mathematician and he has a degree in mechanical engineering. He's an Irishman, but he actually happens to be the coach of Conor McGregor. So he's Amazing. a UFC coach, wow. but he's a mathematician. And he, <laughs> and he applied mathematical um, sequencing to learning how to wrestle or learning how to um, do jujitsu. Wow. Himself. Um, so he, he did it in a very, um, he did it in a, in a pattern sense. So he learned patterns, which is what mathematics is about patterns That's and right. algorithms. About, algorithms is another word for recipe, which is another word for pattern. And he actually used mathematics to build the patterns to learn how to do jujitsu. How amazing. And off the back of that, he then decided he wanted to run a jujitsu school. Then he discovered Conor McGregor and he turned Conor McGregor to who he is today. And uh, I interviewed him um, on one of my podcasts a little while ago uh, in January this year. And one of the things he's – and he wrote a book. And his book was called Win or Learn. And that's why I said to you about winning or learning. Yeah, I think it is, and that's wow. what I said to you about before win or learn. And that seems to be, to me, to be a thought process that let's call it winners mm-hmm. or succeeders well, people are just happy. Yeah. Um, do. They <laughs> exactly. win or learn. Exactly. He wrote a book about it and I asked him, he did it to confirm in his own mind mm-hmm. the, work, the thought processes that he needed to con- continue on with. And what's interesting, you've written a book here called Be Bold, um, which is the antithesis to what you were feeling when you broke up with your ex to who you are today. Yes. And I would ask you, because we're running out of time and, as you, and this always happens, but I would ask you, do you think that Alexis Fernandez is one of those people who sat down and thought where she was at when she was in her early 20s, unhappy in Brisbane, and um, decided that not knowing about neuroscience, not having a master's degree in neuroscience, um, but decided that she was going to build a new highway or a new tollway or new tollways um, outside of the tollway that she'd been travelling down for a long time. Mm. Is, that, is that who I'm talking to? Yes. Definitely. And now I'm talking to that person who realizes what she's done and she's now actually sharing that with as many people as she can. Exactly. Exactly. Is that what your podcast is about? That's what the podcast is about. It's about 100%. It's about taking that power back. And a lot of the power comes from owning it, acknowledging it. And that's, that's the starting point. You can never go anywhere if you're not acknowledging where you are right now. Because a lot of the time you're in denial, you're just not aware. If you can be aware and own it, especially own where you did wrong. That's the biggest gift. If you could know where you did wrong or know what you can do better, that is the best thing you can do for yourself because then you can do something about it. If you're going to say it was your fault, it was that fault, I was unlucky, well, then technically you can't do anything about it, so nothing's going to change in your life. Very good. Alexis, this has been Alexis Fernandez. Thank you very much. I have enjoyed myself immensely. Thank you for having Um, me. Guys, listen to the podcast. It's Ripper.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Jonathan Leondis. This is a mentored podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.